Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tells us that our salvation is the result of the incredible riches of our Heavenly Father's grace. Everything we are and everything we do comes from the generosity of our Heavenly Father's grace in Jesus Christ our Lord. We can do absolutely nothing of any value outside of the grace of our God and Father. Let's open our Bible now to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at the amazing riches of the grace of God that are ours in Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all spending time with Jesus Growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, growing to know his love for you and and growing to obey him, growing to be like him, growing to desire him, growing to just know him better. Right. As uh, as it says in Ephesians chapter one. Right. The Apostle Paul says that his prayer is that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know him him, that you'd know Jesus better, that you would know your heavenly father better, that you would know the Holy Spirit better. So thank you, Lord Jesus. It's the, it's the, it is the true meaning of life is growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord, and in and through Jesus, growing in your relationship with our heavenly father and growing to know the Holy Spirit. In Jesus, you have relationship with each member of the Trinity, right? Uh, the Bible is clear that we have one God, he's one being, but he's represented in three distinct individual persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are three distinct persons, right? They're not the same person, or it's not the same being manifesting himself in three different ways as he chooses. It is actually three distinct persons. Uh, you and I are human beings. We're one being and we're also one person, right? Um, God is so immense that he's one being, but three distinct persons, right? All right. Exciting times. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, I've chosen to go into the book of Ephesians next, right? We did Luke chapters nine and 10, which were incredible. Just, uh, waiting on the Lord. And I, it's not that I had some, uh, I didn't have some particular revelation that I'm aware of, but all of a sudden I got excited about Ephesians. And, uh, and so, uh, Lord willing for the next, uh, six weeks, we will, uh, we'll be in Ephesians. Um, we should do, uh, we should do two teachings per chapter and that'll take us 12 teachings in the book of Ephesians. Um, and studying for this and just, just preparing for it. I mean, I'm excited. I mean, this, this book is real, like all the books of the Bible. Um, the book is written by the Apostle Paul, right? St. Paul. Um, and, uh, you know, it's written to, uh, to, to the Christians in Ephesus. But some uh, historians and scholars say, you know, that we're in verse 1. It says the saints in Ephesus, that was left blank. And, you know, you could write your name in there, right? It could say to the, to the saints in Dallas, to the saints in Singapore, to the saints 
in, you know, um, Memphis, to the Saints in Fort Worth, to the Saints in Beijing, to the Saints in Kiev, right? Uh, to the Saints in Moscow, to the Saints all over the world, right? Um, so again, the book of Ephesians is a, uh, I mean, off the chain. The revelations that come through this man, the Apostle Paul, there are no words for it. In reading it, I'm overwhelmed with the fact that people would not believe in Jesus, okay? When you read this, when you study this book, to reject Jesus Christ and to say that Jesus is not true, that Jesus is not the Savior or the Messiah, when you read through this, I don't know how anyone could not be convinced by a thorough reading of this. Because to say that, that Jesus is not the Messiah is to say that this man, Saul of Tarsus, who later changed his name to Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, it's to say that he is, he's insane. It's to say that Paul is delusional. It's to say that, that he's a liar, right? You can't just say that, you know, well, Paul is wrong. The, the claims that he makes throughout this book, the mastery in which the book is woven together, all right, it's so obvious for anyone that has eyes to see that this is, that this is written by the Holy Spirit of God, by God the Holy Spirit. Um, and again, for those who, who are sincere in their study, but yet have not been convinced, I do pray in Jesus' name that you would take a new look a new look, a new look at this book of Ephesians and just go through it slowly. And, I, and I'm saying, I mean, I've come through this just, just overwhelmed with, with the fact and, and, and saddened by the fact that some are not convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is God the Son, is the Savior of the world, is the, the ultimate meaning of life. And that... Uh, and that indeed, that he did come into this world and live a perfect, righteous life that we couldn't live on our behalf and in our place and died a perfect, righteous, torturous death on our behalf and in our place that we should have died. And that he is indeed raised from the dead. And that, and that in receiving Jesus Christ, you'll have the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. John 1.12, right? Yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we're going to begin in uh, Ephesians today. Um, I don't know how far we'll get, maybe verse 10 or 11, um, could be through 14, but we'll see. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, this book of Ephesians, Lord. We just thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading your, your servant Paul to pen this letter uh, to the church in Ephesus, Lord, we, uh, we just thank you, Father. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life for us. We thank you for dying a perfect righteous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today, Lord Jesus. And we worship you today. 
Holy Spirit, we praise you, we worship you now, and we thank you. We ask you to give us eyes that see now and ears that hear and hearts that understand your word. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, amen and amen. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's like reading the word of God, right? To read that, and we're going to break this down. And, um, you know, I've said this before, um, you know, as a, as a teacher of the Bible, I am truly inadequate. Um, you know, I'm not qualified. No human being is qualified to teach the word of God. By his grace, right? This, this book, Ephesians chapter 4, says that Jesus did give, you know, gifts and, and he gave assignments and he gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some, some, pastors, some teachers. Um, and he's given us to do that. And, and, and great care ought to be taken when we're teaching the word of God. We, we, our goal, my goal is to just teach the scripture without an agenda, to just teach the word of God and, and get out of the way. Just let it speak, to open it up, to expound upon it, right? To exposit it, right? Um, to hopefully just make it more clear, right? Um, just to go verse by verse and do what's called expository teaching, right? Just simply exposing and hopefully bringing understanding to the text, um, of scripture. Um, it is a, uh, 
again, it's a great privilege. There is no greater privilege than to than to read and study the Word of God, an even greater privilege to teach it. And uh, I ask you to have mercy on me, Lord Jesus, and all those who teach your Word. Holy Spirit, I ask you to lead us and guide us and humble us and help us to teach your Word properly and rightly in the fear of God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay. Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. All right. Paul states it as its fact. Okay. So again, if, if, if you know, if you're someone who's out there today, and, and let's say you're just a devout uh, Buddhist, or you're a devout a Muslim or you're or you're a devout, you know, Jewish man or woman, right? Someone who who firmly believes in the Old Testament but haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you look at this again, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, okay? It's 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 it ought not be cavalier. It ought just not be an easy thing for you to say, "Oh, I disagree with that." Or I don't think he is an apostle, all right? You think he's just making it up. He says it as a statement here, okay? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, okay? Uh, when we're called to be, okay, uh, ministry leaders, when we're called as ministers and pastors and teachers, um, some people believe they're called to be apostles and prophets. That is, a, that is an office of ministry that, you know, I, I certainly don't believe I'm called to that. Some believe they are called still that God is still calling apostles, and, and perhaps he is. It doesn't say anywhere in the scriptures that he stopped calling apostles and prophets. Um, certainly, we still have evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I would imagine there are people with certain apostolic anointings and prophetic anointings, right, um, and callings. Again, I would be reticent um, to walk around calling yourself an apostle or a, post or, or a prophet, Um and it's again, it's not that we're ashamed of it by any means, but it's a it's a bold statement, right? When you see this guy, the Apostle Paul, he wrote half the New Testament. Now, even when we call ourselves pastors and teachers and ministers and bishop and priest, you know, pope, you know, all these names ought to be handled with. Uh, they don't really, you know, there's uh, the Lord is not impressed with our titles, um, but Paul certainly is an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's apostle of Jesus. If you're a minister today, you're a minister of Christ Jesus. If you're a, uh, a teacher, you're a teacher for Christ Jesus. Okay. Um, if you're a, a life group leader, if you're a worship leader, uh, it's one of Christ Jesus. Your purpose in Christian ministry is to elevate and magnify Jesus, Becky, right? That's why we're here. That's why we exist to make Jesus known. Okay. That's our job as Christians. And that's our work. Obviously, it's what we get paid to do as full time ministers, right? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Again, we don't call ourselves into ministry, we're called into ministry by our Heavenly Father. Okay. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, who are saints, okay? Anyone who's a genuine Christian today, anyone who has genuinely received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're spiritually alive, they've been born again spiritually, 
They have eternal life. You are a saint. You notice he says to the saints in Ephesus. He's writing to, to all the Christians in Ephesus. There are, there are some different denominations in Christ that believe only the kind of super Christians, right? That believe only like the apostles are saints, or they believe only like the, the great, right, Christian servants over the past 2,000 years are saints. The scripture is clear that, that all genuine Christians, all those who are truly trusting, relying, and clinging to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul, to all who've received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as Christians, you are all saints. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Are you faithful in clinging to the message of Christ, Wade? Are we faithful? Are you faithful wherever you are today in clinging to the message of Christ? Are you a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, rap? To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The whole purpose of our life is to be faithful in believing in Christ and trusting in Christ, growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ and helping others do the same. It's the meaning of life. Verse two, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, again, this speaks to the deity of Jesus. He just doesn't say grace and peace to you from God our Father. When you put on the same line, when you put in the same sentence, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, you've now made Jesus equal to the Father. And he is equal. As I said earlier, we have a triune God, one God, three distinct individual persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God. Okay, They're all equal in that they're God. Okay, One being, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God. They're all omniscient. They're all all-knowing. They know everything. They can't learn anything. Uh, they're all omnipotent, right? They're all all-powerful. They can all do anything. There's nothing they're incapable of doing. And they're all omnipresent, okay? They're all everywhere at all times living outside of time, right? Obviously, these, these attributes are only qualities of God. And each person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, has all these qualities. They're all omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Of everything you have in your life, of everything you're, you're desiring in your life, what you ought to desire more than anything else is grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, the vast majority of us as Christians still desire material things more than spiritual things. But the spiritual blessings of grace and of peace, May, are, are of a value so much more infinite than material and temporal blessings. Um, it, it's really incomprehensible. But yet, because we're in this world, because we live in a day-to-day in a, in a -day world, because we're stuck in time, so to speak... We still genuinely focus on material blessings, but I mean, if you can have anything, you would want more of the grace of God and more of the peace of God to be active in every aspect of your life. 
Um, grace and peace to you. Grace is the means of salvation, right? Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you've been saved. Peace is the result of your salvation, right? Um, you have peace with God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You're, you know, if you're not in Jesus Christ, you do not have peace with the triune God. You're actually at war with the triune God. And until you come into that peace through Jesus Christ, only eternal hell awaits. That's why we do this. That's why we, we earnestly urge everyone to receive Christ as Savior. Right? Thank you, Lord. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Listen to that, Corinne. Listen to these words. Praise be to the God and Father. Now, do you, do you have a, a habit of praising your Father in heaven? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to have a daily lifestyle of praising and thanking our Heavenly Father, praising and thanking Jesus Christ our Lord, and praising and thanking the Holy Spirit and worshiping in them. We don't praise and worship people, okay? Obviously, we can be thankful to people, but praise and worship only go to God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, okay? There are some incredible servants that are in the Bible, and there are incredible servants of Christ over the past 2,000 years that are not in the Bible, okay? But we don't praise and worship them, okay? We don't praise and worship the Apostle Paul who wrote this. We don't praise and worship Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Joseph, his his earthly stepfather, right? We don't praise and worship uh, the Apostle Peter. We don't praise and worship the great Christians of the past, right? Um, we praise and worship God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You notice the blessing is not in the earthly realms, okay? Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. And in the heavenly realms, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. As I just said, it is the spiritual blessings that are the most profound. And the spiritual blessings are the one you and I ought to be running after, Chris, right? We ought to be chasing and desiring the spiritual blessings so much more than the material blessings. And it says that our Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There is no spiritual blessing, Stephen, that's not in Christ. It's, it's only in Christ, right, Father Rick? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you're in Jesus today, your Heavenly Father has given you every spiritual blessing, okay? And that in the spiritual realm, you have every spiritual blessing if you are in Jesus Christ. If you're not in Jesus Christ today, consequently, you have no spiritual blessings from God the Father. You cannot take out Jesus, okay? So again, someone who reads this and doesn't believe it, okay? Look what Paul wrote here. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Okay? So again, for you to say that that you don't believe this or you don't think it's true, again, you're saying that this guy is just, this guy Paul's just making this all up. Um, he's delusional, he's insane, or he's just a horrible liar. Um, obviously, when you read this, it's refined. It's coherent. Okay. The symmetry of it, like my brother Tom likes to say, is, is remarkable. Okay. It is clearly as much the word of God as any in the Bible. Right. But we need to understand that, that, that the blessings from God, our father can only come in Jesus Christ. So if you're not in Jesus today, if you're a Buddhist today, if you're a Hindu today, if you're a Muslim today, or if you're a, uh, if you're a Jewish man or woman today and you're not in Christ, there are no spiritual blessings because those blessings are only in Christ. That's why we plead, lovingly plead for you to, to give your lives to Christ because in Christ, you and I have every spiritual blessing, right, Derry? My sister Derry gave me a... Uh, a paper today from uh, from Free Indeed, right? And uh, the senior pastor of a Sojourn Church, Terry Moore, you know, wrote that I think some 30, 35 years ago. Um, and it's and it's just a and it gives you an understanding of the freedom and of these spiritual blessings that you have in Christ. I would recommend it. It's called Free Indeed, right? Um, and again, without Christ, you don't have any of these things. So again, this is a, we're not trying to be intolerant here. We're not trying to be mean. I'm not. My heart is that everyone would have this, right? 1 Timothy 2.4 says that it's God's will that, that all people are saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, right? And, and so that you can have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Okay, verse four. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, it's an interesting verse, right? Think about the words. We were chosen by God the Father in Jesus Christ to be in Christ before the world was even created, okay? So wait a minute, what does that mean? God chose us, okay? So this choosing is a reality, okay? Um, he's gonna go down and say in, in, in a few verses that, that we were elected and we were predestined, okay? Um, that we were chosen, we were, were, we were predestined, you know, to be in Jesus Christ. Again, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. So before the world was created, before the world or the universe or the earth was created, you know, God the Father chose us. Yes, he knew that you would be born. He knew that you would receive Jesus Christ. And, and he chose you. Now, in the church today, and this is a, you know, this is a, this is an inside conversation. It's an inside debate. There is no doubt of the reality. Election is a reality. You can't say I don't believe in election because 
The scripture is clear that we have been elected, we have been chosen, and we have been predestined, okay? You can't say I don't believe in it because it's a fact of scripture. It says it throughout the New Testament, right? Um, that we have been chosen, we have been elected, and we have been predestined. And Ephesians 1.4 says that it, that it was before the world was even created that, that we were chosen and predestined, right? So the discussion, the entire discussion, okay, is not whether or not we have been elect or chosen or predestined. That is a fact. The discussion is around what was the reasoning behind it, okay? What were the reasons? Why is it that our Heavenly Father chose us in Christ to be saved before the world was even created. Why, what was, you know, what was his thought process behind it, okay? Now, the scripture does not by any means make that clear. It makes it clear that before the world was created, that God did predestine and elect and choose those who would be saved and who would spend eternity in heaven and those who are not chosen regrettably spend eternity in hell. Okay, the scripture does is unambiguous on this. It's not confusing. It's not confusing. But the question revolves around what was the method of his choosing? And there's really two two. I'm going to call them legitimate arguments on this. Okay, there's one argument that believes that 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 God the Father that you know knowing beforehand foreknowing who when presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, would receive it. Obviously, he knows all things, so he knows, you know, before it's happened, that he knows everyone in the history of time who, when presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, would receive it. And he knows those who would reject it, right? Therefore, reasonably, he predestines for salvation those who he knows when presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ will receive it. And he predestines them to be in Christ, to receive the forgiveness of Christ, to receive eternal life and ultimately go to heaven when they die. Okay. So that is, that is one side of the argument. Okay. There's another side of the argument that says, and this is a sound argument as well. And only one of them is true. The other side of the argument says that, that yes, God did elect us, he did choose us, he did predestine us, but it had nothing to do with anything that we would believe about Jesus Christ. God in his own counsel, in his own understanding that certainly hasn't been revealed to us, he chose those who would be saved, but it had nothing to do with anything that they would believe. Okay, um, and, and, you know, there are parts of, of the Gospel of John in chapter 6. There are parts throughout the Old Testament, um, uh, certainly Romans chapter 9. You know, these are very difficult scriptures to understand um, that reveal this, this choosing, that, that God's choosing had nothing to do with us. Now, now obviously, to a, um, to a normal, reasonable, thinking fair-minded human being, you know, the second one just just brings up some problems in us, right? So so wait a minute. I can understand the first one. 
okay? Because, you know, now God is not choosing his favorites, okay? The second one is very clearly saying that God is choosing his favorites. The first one is saying that God is choosing those who would choose him. The second one is saying, no, God, no one would choose him. And so he's going to pick and choose those he desires for salvation in his own understanding and in his own knowledge that aren't revealed to us. So obviously on the surface, um, this second doctrine, this second understanding, um, it certainly is not does not seem fair to us, okay? And after all, it says throughout the scriptures in Romans 2.11 that, that God does not show favoritism, okay? Um, and so there are, there are scriptures on both sides of this debate. I personally have studied it for almost 25 years. I've studied it fairly intensely. Um, there are names for both of these systems, okay? Um, there are names for the first system. There are names for the second system. There are acronyms, okay, really for both systems. A very famous acronym in TULIP for the second one. I've studied out the five points extensively. And then there are, you know, there are extensions of it, okay? Each side, you know, there are, there are divisions in Christianity that divide over this in what I believe is an unhealthy way. Again, I've studied this for almost 25 years, this particular doctrine of election, of God's choosing, and of predestination. Um, and, 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 I, and, I, and I understand, I believe, both sides of it fairly well. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm not certain, right? My particular conversion, right, I, I mean, uh, seems to line up with the second one, right? Uh, you know, why when I was 27 years old, I just started seeking the Lord. I just almost out of nowhere, I started praying and praying and having a desire to pray. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I, I started having a desire for Jesus. And then all of a sudden I was presented with the gospel. Someone left, left a gospel track on my apartment door, that clip that's on the apartments. And man, I read it and it made sense to me. Right. And I got saved and I got born again. Right. And it did seem like just out of nowhere, like, like the Lord had chosen me, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, um, certainly I want everyone in the world to have that same opportunity. And I'll say this, we certainly need to preach and teach the Bible, right? Based on the first understanding that, that, that every human being has the opportunity to be saved in Jesus Christ and God's desire, so to speak, is to choose everyone. So, again, I'm not going to go into, again, there are volumes written on election and predestination. What's important for now is to understand is that election and predestination and God's choosing are a reality. They are a biblical reality. The, the, the reasoning behind God's choosing is not made clear in the scriptures. Okay? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So um, in Jesus Christ, when you receive Jesus Christ, all of your sins are washed away in the death of Christ. And the, the blood of Jesus Christ washes away every sin you ever committed, past, present, and future sin. And in the sight of God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, you are holy and blameless 
in the spiritual realm before before God. Now he also chose you to be to have a lifestyle of being holy and blameless. If you're a Christian today, there ought to be a desire to live a righteous life in Christ. You're not saved by this. There ought to be a desire to do what's right. There ought to be a desire in you for holiness. There ought to be a desire to step away from sin. None of us do this perfectly, okay? In my life, still throughout my days, daily, really, I find myself needing to repent over different things. I don't know, uh, again, I'm sure there are days, but there aren't many days that go by that I don't have to repent over something and say, Father, I'm sorry. Oftentimes it's just because of a thought process or a level of irritation or some frustration. Um, I'm an impatient man. Um, but, uh, you know, we ought to have a desire. If you're a Christian today and you have no desire to do what's right, or to try to be holy, you have no desire for Christ or to love him, then you want to examine your heart and see if you really are a Christian, okay? So, because it says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So, you know, in this life, there ought to be a desire to be holy and blameless, even as we are made clean in Jesus Christ and holy and blameless in his sight in, 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 in the spiritual realm, Okay. All right, verse five, and and really the words in love should be part of verse five. Um, it says, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Okay, so again, here it is. In love, he predestined us. What does that mean? Predestined means that he set your destiny beforehand. Before the creation of the world, you were predestined, right? Your destiny to be in Christ was set before the creation of the world. Verse 5, in love, he predestined us to be a, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons, that means sons and daughters, right? Through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Okay, so it is pleasing to him, and it is his will that we be his children. Look at this. We are children of God the Father. God the Father in Jesus Christ becomes our heavenly Father. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. If you're in Jesus Christ today, you are an adopted child of God. You are a son or daughter of God the Father. He is your heavenly Father. Think about that. It's profound, okay? And it says he did this in love, okay? Um, you know, God is love, right? First John tells us. Now, again, we, we want to be balanced, okay? Because he's also a God of justice. He is a God of wrath, right, Jason? Uh, my brother Jason and I were talking about that yesterday. Um, you know, he's a God of compassion. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace, Um you know, but above all, God is love, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So certainly God is love, but that doesn't mean we can be imbalanced and, and ignore every other aspect of his character, okay? So again, when we come to the scriptures, we just want to let the scripture speak. And here it says, in love, 
He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. So clearly, he's done this because he loves us. Once again, we're not told the, we're not told the reasoning or the methodology in God's mind for the predestining. Okay, again, the entire discussion comes down to not that have we been predestined. It says here we have been, but you know what was the cause of God's predestining? What is the cause and effect, so to speak? Um, does it have anything to do with us? Does it reasonably have to do with the fact that you know that if we would choose Christ, God would choose us? And again, one side leans very heavily on that. The other side leans very heavily on the fact that, no, it had nothing to do with us. And it's all rooted in God's sovereignty. Um, and, and, you know, we didn't even believe on, you know, we didn't even have a choice to believe if not for him. And so, again, I'm going to keep studying this. Um, I, you know, there may be a time when I go into a much more extensive teaching on this topic alone. Um, but I'll say again, I'm not, I'm not certain. Okay. One of these two is correct. One of these two views and one of them is wrong. Okay. Um, and ultimately we won't know that for sure till we get to heaven, undoubtedly. Um, and, and there are people who are certain on both sides of it. You know, again, I'm, I myself live my life in the reality of the first one that, you know, that, that every human being has an opportunity for salvation and that God's desire is to choose all of them. And now it's our responsibility to share the gospel and for them to, to choose Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus makes, Jesus makes it clear in John 6 that none of us, not, not any of us, could do anything if, if our Father didn't make the first move, okay? No one comes to Jesus without the Father enabling him. So it's important to understand that not one human being would ever be saved in history unless God the Father draws us, Okay? But the point is that God the Father is drawing all of us, right? This is what this first view would say. And it's certainly how I live my life, right? Um, that God the Father is drawing all of us. And yet, you know, most of the history of the world and most people today resist that drawing. It's not that they, they can't receive because the Father isn't drawing them. It's that they, they won't receive, Um and so, again, that's, that's how we need to live our Christian lives. And if it comes out that the second view, which, again, there is, there is evidence in the Scripture that, that this second view, that God's choosing had nothing to do with us, well, then, you know, that'll be, in, that'll be God's business, so to speak, right? But we certainly need to live our lives like he's choosing every one of us. He's drawing every one of us. And our heart is to just lovingly bring the gospel before people that they may receive Jesus and be saved. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. It is pleasing to him and it is his will that we be his children. And again, what, what, what value do we, do we really understand that you are children, that God the Father is your heavenly father? In Jesus Christ. If you're not in Jesus Christ, God the Father is not your heavenly Father. And Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior. And, the, and then God the Holy Spirit is not your guide and your counselor. And they will only be your judge. Right? So I beg you, give your life to Jesus Christ today. Receive Jesus today. Through his pleasure and will, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, 
and the one he loves to the praise of his glorious grace. You have a lifestyle of just praising the grace of God, of being thankful for the grace of God. Here it's called his glorious grace, okay? Grace is, is God's unmerited favor toward us, okay? None of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve to have our sins forgiven, okay? All of us, the scripture is clear, deserve to be separated from the triune God and spend eternity in hell, separated from him forever. That's what every one of us deserves. But we praise his glorious grace, Father. We worship you and praise you and thank you for your grace on our lives and in our lives in Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, do you have a habit of praising him for his grace and his mercy to the praise of his glorious grace? Again, God's grace is his unmerited favor toward us. We don't deserve it, but he's given it to us, okay? And God's grace also empowers us to live the life he's given us to do. But, but here Paul is speaking to the praise of his glorious grace. Again, we don't earn our salvation. There's nothing we do to earn it. Again, John 1.12 says, yet simply, yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You become a child of God simply by receiving Jesus Christ, by trusting in him to be your only Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul, and, and deliverance from eternal hell. Again, you can just go before Jesus even now if you're not sure and just, you know, just simply humble yourself and pray, Lord Jesus, I, I know that I'm a sinful person. I know I've done wrong, Lord, and I know that I'm hopeless and helpless and desperate without you, Jesus. But Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And Lord Jesus, I believe you're alive and risen today. And therefore, I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. And Lord, I humbly ask you to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and hope and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you receive him. Again, it's important you understand it's not the words that save us. You don't just puppet words and you're saved. It's the You use your words, though, to communicate your heart to the Lord Jesus, right? So again, you use your words to share your heart. It's, it's in the genuineness and sincerity of your heart of understanding your desperate need of Jesus and humbling yourself before him and receiving him, knowing he's your only hope, is your Lord and Savior, and you will become a child of God. God the Father will become your heavenly Father. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us. It's a gift. We didn't earn it, which he has freely given us in the one, capital O-N-E, he loves. Again, it's speaking about in Christ, in the one, in Jesus, that he loves. And again, here we can see the incredible love and devotion in the Trinity to one another. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So hear it again. There's not just a little bit of grace that's been given us. We needed a whole lot of grace. I needed so much grace, May. There's no words, okay? The amount of grace I needed, Scott, there are not words. We are such sinful people. Okay, 
um, that it's in the riches of God's grace. It's not in the poverty of his grace. His grace was showered on us and we need it all. Okay. If one bit of my life was added to the grace of God, I'd spend eternity in hell. You could take the best five minutes I've ever lived and all it would do is send me to hell. Wow. The praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In him, we have redemption. We've been redeemed. We've been purchased. Redemption means to be purchased, to be bought, that our sin debt has been paid. We've been redeemed and bought back. We all have a sin debt to our heavenly father and Jesus Christ paid that debt on our behalf and in our place. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. There's nothing special about the blood running through his veins. His blood means it was certainly sinless, um, he's, you know, but his blood means his death, okay? In him, we have redemption through his blood. By his death, the forgiveness of our sins, okay? Uh, the death of Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins, and all we need is receive that, okay? Um, Jesus died on the cross, the death you and I should have died, and all we need is receive it. Mm. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 8, accordance to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Okay, so again, God's grace in his grace he not only lavished on us the riches of his grace, but he lavished on us wisdom and he lavished on us understanding. Okay. Um, all of this has been given us in Christ. If you understand what I'm saying, by God's grace, you have the wisdom and understanding to know who Christ is, to know that you are a wretched sinner, that I'm a wretched sinner and that we need a savior. And he's given us that wisdom and understanding. We were having a discussion yesterday. It seems to read, verse 8 seems to read, that God the Father lavished on us, you know, the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You could see how that could be read that, right, Stephen, that God the Father, you know, gave us his grace and he did it with all wisdom and he did it with all understanding. Uh, that interpretation is difficult because how else would he do it? Okay. Is God going to do something not in wisdom and not in understanding? Okay. So th th there's a problem again with that. Some people read this verse that when God gave us the riches of his grace, he did it with, with his wisdom and he did it with his understanding. Right. So we did it like real good. Right. The problem with that again is, is how else would he do it? Okay. Everything he does, he's perfect. He's going to do with wisdom and understanding. So again, when I read this, I see that according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us in his grace. And in addition to that, and with his grace, he gave us, you know, he gave us wisdom and understanding that we could comprehend and understand all these things, right? It's thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse nine, and he made known to us the mystery of his will. Okay. And with the, you know, this is a this is building on that verse. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Okay. So again, our Father has made known to us. Jesus said, No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Right. Um, 
And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Now, the mystery of his will, again, is that we would be saved from our sin through Jesus Christ. And the theme is going to build in the book that there's a mystery that God would bring not only Jewish people, but all non-Jewish people. He would bring all Christians together, whether you're Jew or non-Jew, in one body of Christ. And Paul's going to make that clear in the coming chapters, right? And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. He purposed in Christ, okay? We need to be purposeful in Christ. Everything is purposed in Christ, okay? God the Father purposed it in Christ. Without Christ, there is no purpose. There is no meaning. There is no life. There is no nothing if it's not purposed in Christ. To be purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Again, so this is certainly now, this is not completed, okay? Everything hasn't been brought to fulfillment. Ultimately, everything will be brought to fulfillment. We'll have a new heaven. We'll have a new earth. There'll be no more sin. Um, and all believers will live for eternity in heaven, in God the Father, with God the Father, with God the Son, Jesus, and with God the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow. To be put in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ, that where, where everything will come into complete fulfillment. Um, the times have not reached their fulfillment. Um, Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth, and and yet he's still patient, wanting to see, you know, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, it's God's will that no man perish, right? But that everyone come to repentance. Um, and so the time will come, and again, I pray it comes before this teaching ends. Come, Lord Jesus, right? We want the fulfillment of all things and just to be with them. All right. Um, I'm going to go through verse 12. In him, we were also chosen. In Christ, we were also chosen. There's that word chosen again. Having been predestined, okay? It's a reality. We were predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Okay. So again, it is his will that we be his children. It is his will right? Um, it's his will that we be conformed to his will. It's his will that we be like Jesus, right? Romans eight twenty nine says that, you know, that we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. We ought to be growing to be more and more like Jesus. But in Christ, we were also chosen, again, having been predestined. You see, this is a big theme that we need to understand that God knew who you were before the world was even created. And he chose you and predestined you. Okay, for salvation. All right. If you're in Christ. Okay. Now, again, what his what his reasoning for the predestining is, you know, we're not told. We've already postulated what the reasons may be and what the other side says. No, there are no reasons for us to understand. Okay. In verse 12. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Okay. Um, the reason if you've come to know Christ, 
It's so that you could glorify him. You, your and I's lifestyle ought to be for the praise of his glory in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ. Okay. So obviously out of all the Christians in the last 2000 years, the Christians in Ephesus and Paul were, were, were amongst the first Christians, but also if you've come to know Christ in your life, and let's say you came to know Christ at an early age, right, Cash? Let's say you you came to know uh, Christ, Kristen, at you know at twenty, you know at twenty four years old instead of someone at eighty four. The reason you've come to know Christ, and again, the younger you come to know Christ, the more opportunity you have to be for the praise of His glory, right? That you ought to be living a lifestyle that glorifies God, right? And brings praise to him. And so, so should I. And so, Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your favor, your mercy, your goodness, your grace, your love. We just thank you, Father, for your goodness in our lives, Lord. We thank you for this book of Ephesians, Father. We thank you for, uh, we just thank you, Lord, just for the depth of it. We thank you, Father, that you, you have predestined us, that you have chosen us, Father, that you have elected us. Um, and we thank you, Lord, that, that we've come to be your children in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for redeeming us. We thank you for purchasing us. We thank you for paying our sin debt that we could in no way pay ourselves in any manner or in any way. Holy Spirit, we worship you and thank you. We ask you to seal this to our hearts now. Again, give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.